the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. For all the kids up through the eighth grade, please come forward. morning. How are you? Are you? How's school going? Good? Yeah. yeah. You ever been told the story of Pinocchio? Tell me about what, what, what is the biggest feature in the story about Pinocchio that you remember? What? Whenever he lied, his nose got big. Whenever he lied, what happened? His nose got big. And if he lied again, what happened? Got bigger. And if he lied again, the does that happen to you? How do you know? Have you lied? Yeah. Shh, your mom's watching. The lies get bigger and bigger. They, the get bigger, and bigger. You know, you know you're going to get in trouble if you tell a lie. So why do, I think we, everyone in this room has probably told a lie before. Why do we do that? Why do you think we do that? So, so that we don't get into trouble. But, but what happens when we tell one lie, we usually have to tell another lie to cover that lie up, don't we? And then we usually have to tell another lie to cover those two lies up. And it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Jesus kind of talks about that in the gospel lesson today. He's not talking necessarily about lying, but that is, he is implying that. And we know that our noses don't grow long. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say your noses grow long if you lie, right? But he is talking about that, that, that there are things in our lives that mess us up. And we need, to not, we need to get rid of those things that Jesus is telling us. Even, I mean, from little boys and girls to old men and women, we have things in our lives that mess us up a whole lot that we shouldn't be doing. And Jesus says, you need to get rid of that. He says, and, or he says, you know, there's, he says, are you, literally, he says, or you will go to hell. And you know, hell is where God is not. I want to be where God is, don't you? I don't want to be where God is not. A lot of people hide from God in this world trying to, trying to play like God doesn't exist. And so, and they're already heading in that direction of darkness. And that's scary. And that's why we're supposed to tell people about the love of Jesus to help them turn around. And that's why we're supposed to live lives that are decent and, and pure and true. You're supposed to be a, a girl after God's own heart. You're supposed to be a, a boy after God's own heart. I'm supposed to be a man after God's own heart and give up those things that are not good. We're supposed to quit lying. We're supposed to quit stealing. We're supposed to quit doing the things that we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to love and do the things that God wants us to do. So I guess if we pay attention to the words of Jesus, through God's grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit, just do what's right in the eyes of God. Read the Bible. Find out what's right. Talk to your mom. Talk to your Sunday school teachers. Find out what's right and just try to live that way. That's, what, that's all Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be like him. Because Jesus didn't have sin. Jesus didn't tell lies. Jesus didn't steal. Jesus, Jesus didn't do those things. 
Jesus is the perfect humanity and the perfect Godhead, and we're supposed to follow that. He is our true example, our true role model that we can follow and, and live up to as best we can. Okay? All right. Let me, Bukumi, let me see you know. You, did, no, it's still the same. You didn't lie. I was just checking. <laughs> All right. Y'all wanna, if you want to get a packet from Mr. Music over there, you can. Otherwise, you can go back to your mama. Thank you for coming up, though. I'm not crying. I just have allergies for several days now. Doctor, I need some medicine. (laughs) Uh, Gary Trudeau, the writer of the comic strip Doonesbury, he once told a story within a commencement address about his father who was a doctor. And he said, a man once turned up in my father's office complaining about an ulcer. And my father asked all the pertinent questions. He says, is there some undue stress in your life that might be causing you to have these stomach issues, this, these ulcer-like issues? And the patient who was married thought about it for a moment and then allowed that he also had a girlfriend in Syracuse and that twice a week he'd been driving this old pickup truck down to see her And since the pickup truck frequently broke down, he was often late in getting home, and so he had to make these fabulous lies, these stories to tell his wife. And my father, he says, compassionately but sternly, told the man that he had to make some hard decisions about his personal priorities if he was ever to get well. And the patient nodded, okay, and and went away. Six months later, the man came back completely healed, a new man, and my father congratulated him and then delicately inquired to see if he'd made some major changes in his life. And the man replied, yes, I did, I did. When you told me to look at my priorities, I knew I had to do something. And so I made a tough choice. And I went out and I bought me a new pickup truck. Why'd you fall off the pew? (laughs) Either it was that good or that bad. (laughs) That bad. You're embarrassed? Well, I apologize right now. (laughs) The reading this, but that was Gary Trudeau. That was not my story. That was Gary's story about his dad. The readings this morning have a whole lot to do with um, the kinds of choices that we make in life. But right from the beginning, I have to tell you, every time I look at this gospel lesson, I've been looking at it for years and years and years, I am bothered by the negative and violent statements attributed to Jesus. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better to enter the kingdom of God having one hand, one foot, one eye than to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And my knee-jerk reaction is to rush to my library to find some biblical scholar who says that Jesus didn't really say these things 
And I know without a doubt that there are many biblical scholars who go out there and try to say that Jesus didn't say certain things. So I, I would be able to find one. But the more I think about what Jesus said, the more I realize that Jesus said these things not because he wanted us to take them literally, but because of his intention to shock us into reality. If you're anything like me and like a great majority of God's people today, you may be aware that most of us like to preserve the image of Jesus as this soft, loving, caring character whom we can all hug and embrace and run to when we need help. And in fact, if you pay any attention to my preaching at all, and please, I do hope you do, you will find this to be a theological concept that I use quite often because there is indeed a tremendous amount of truth in that. God becomes almost like a first century Mr. Rogers, and we are all a part of his neighborhood. Good morning, boys and girls. I love you and you love me. And again, there is absolute truth in that with God. But this morning we have something different. We have Mr. Jesus Rogers saying something like, good morning, boys and girls. Can you say hell? Good morning, boys and girls. Can you say sin? Can you say amputations? Can you say unquenchable fire? And I think, hey, slow the hossy down for a moment. Let's throw that in the trash. Let's go back to this love theme we always talk about, about the wonderful kingdom of God. Without a doubt, I can tell you that Jesus was employing exaggeration to produce a certain effect with the words that he used. I mean, even the literalists in their interpretation of scripture do not take this text literally, because if they did, I guarantee you we would be seeing a whole lot more one-legged, one-handed, one-eyed people out there on the streets and in our churches. The point Jesus seems to be making is that whatever your serious problem happens to be, deal with it or it will be a living hell. And I know that nobody wants to talk about hell these days. It's almost as if the doctrine of hell has ceased to exist. Maybe in our all-inclusive society, the concept of hell sounds way too exclusive. And so what do we do with it? We cast it out. But in the case of this morning's readings, it seems that hell is described as more of a state of existence rather than a place to end up after death in order to be eternally punished by God. Hell is thrown at us through the choices we make. And once we create bad choices, and actions, we may decide that we continue in that path and never want to change those sinful habits into good again, even throughout eternity, because we've become so obsessed with them and they've taken the place of God in our lives. Now we have to know that it is always our hope and our prayer as Christians that every single one of God's creatures will eventually choose to accept the loving grace of God so as to be with him in paradise forever. That is our hope. That is our prayer. But let's face it. Look at some of the choices people make today. 
even in the presence of God, who is with us right now. Some people are living in hell even as I speak, and they choose to be there. Hell is having no desire whatsoever to love anything or anyone beyond yourself. Dostoevsky once declared, I ponder, what is hell? I maintain it is the suffering of being unable to love. So then, if hell is the absence of God, what is all this talk about fire and brimstone? Well, the Greek word Jesus used for hell is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was a valley southwest of Jerusalem where once upon a time it became cursed because as the prophet Jeremiah several hundred years before Jesus said, they have built high places in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Gehenna, and they have done this to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something God says, I did not command. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call it the valley of Ben-Hinnom, Gehenna, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury their dead there until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness in the towns of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. And Gehenna was also the place not only where bodies were once sacrificed and burned, but also the place in the days of Jesus where everyone in the city took all of their garbage to be burned. Historians have pointed out that there was a continuous, unquenchable fire always burning in this garbage dump known as Gehenna. So it's no wonder that the Christian church preaches this concept of hell as fire and brimstone because that's exactly what Gehenna was. And Jesus took this imagery of Gehenna and said, you want to know what hell is like? Look over there at that garbage dump. Smell the stench. Look at the fire. See the flames burning continually. That's what hell is like. We also see that the New Testament describes hell with the help of a large number of images. The abyss, exterior darkness, the fiery pool, the blazing furnace, fire that never goes out, the torment of fire, Gehenna, the worm, corruption, the definitive punishment, the penalty, perdition, ruin, the place of weeping and the gnashing of teeth, the situation of no longer being known and no, no longer knowing, and lastly, the very power of death itself. All of these expressions attempt to pictorially depict the fact that the unrepentant sinner would find himself definitively far off from God and from his Christ, separated far away from the source of life, the true source of life. And in my imagination, that kind of separation from God for eternity or even for a moment is much worse than any fire or brimstone. And again, the sad part of all this is that I know people who have already chosen to be there, who can't move beyond themselves to see the beauty of God. Now, the good news is that God gives us every opportunity to be converted 
to make the right choices, to fall in love with him again and again and again. And as for the metaphor of the cutting off of the hands and the feet and the plucking out of the eyes, I want you to understand these words as simply that, as a metaphor. And then I want us to apply that metaphor to our own lives. If there's anything, any part of my life that is getting me all messed up, then I don't just sit around and say, poor me. There's something I can do about it. There is someone I can turn to for help. If my, work if my workaholism is getting in the way of my relationship with my family, then I need to say my prayers and I need to take some radical steps to change that situation. Or if I'm drinking too much and it affects who I am and what I do, then I need to do something about that. Or if I'm being unfaithful to my wife or unfaithful to my husband, then I'd better straighten my life up right away because not only does it affect my relationship with my family, but it also affects my relationship with the God of life, the God of love, the God who is unconditionally ever faithful. But it begins with me. It begins with us. And it stretches either into the everlasting arms of almighty God or into the everlasting separation from the Lord of life and love. And so my friends, again, choose this day to follow the ways and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.